From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. There are just two weeks left in the state legislative session as lawmakers fight for their bills before the end of the month. Plus, the Republican Party voted Representative Liz Cheney out of House leadership last week. So what comes next? This week, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined by State Representative Chris Turner, a Democrat from Arlington, Congressman Michael Burgess, a Republican from Denton, and Randy Urban, a former legislative director for Governor Greg Abbott and now a professor at the University of Texas School of Law. Before we get started, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The pace in the Texas legislature picked up last week as lawmakers start to face deadlines to get their bills passed. Republican Representative Matt Shaheen of Plano explains the pressure that builds as the calendar nears the end of May. It's frustrating. Look, you know, you work hard on every one of these bills and you want them to pass. You really believe in them. Each bill has a story. A lot of times constituents bring us these bills and they're great ideas. Uh, Just going through the committee process, working with your colleagues to get support for these individual bills just takes time. Representative Chris Turner of Arlington is the chair of the House Democratic Caucus and joins Julian Gromer to discuss the last two weeks of the session. Thanks so much for being with us. It's great to be with you both. Thanks for having me. With Republicans in control and really getting a lot of their agenda passed, have Democrats been able to get some of their priorities through? Yes, absolutely. Democratic members in the House have passed several uh, important measures that that uh, are, are, are important to Texas. You just mentioned Bo's Law, uh, a key measure that uh, Representative Carl Sherman from Dallas County passed uh, last week and, and with strong bipartisan support, very important police reform bill. Um, additionally, uh, Democratic members have passed a number of criminal justice and policing reform measures, uh, measures designed to combat sexual harassment, uh, and uh, measures to increase access to health care in Texas, uh, and a lot of other things as well. But those are some of the key key Democratic priorities that have moved forward, even though uh, Republicans are in control of the legislature. Representative, given what Julie just said uh, about the Republican, uh, Republican agenda and all the bills, you know, some would argue red meat bills that th- they were able to pass, was this a frustrating session for Democrats? Well, Grummer, it's been very frustrating at times, yes. It, you know, uh, we have a lot of challenges in Texas, as, as your viewers well know. Uh, we've, we've just suffered through a terrible pandemic uh, over the last 14 months. Uh, we lead the nation in the number of uninsured residents with more than 5 million Texans without any access to health care. We suffered a catastrophic failure of our electric grid just three months ago during the winter storm. Um, and, and so what have you seen Republicans do? Well, they've, they've wasted time focusing on red meat, divisive issues, like a near total ban on abortion, a constitutional uh, uh, health care uh, that, that uh, you know, is guaranteed to be tied up in courts uh, for, for years and years. Uh, they have passed a, a, a permitless carry bill through the House uh, that says that no one has to have training or license to, to carry a, a handgun concealed or in the open. Uh, they have passed vote suppression bills uh, designed to make it harder for people to vote, specifically in uh, the minority communities in Texas. Uh, and they've uh, tried to rewrite uh, Texas school kids' social studies curriculum this week in the House uh, by passing a so-called ban on critical race theory. So, uh, you know, the Republicans have wasted a lot of time this session on these type of misplaced priorities. Uh, and it's the people of Texas, ultimately, who, 
whose priorities are not being addressed as a result of that. So that's been very frustrating. Just one quick note on, on that issue, though, Representative. I will point out that the, the litany of legislation you just reeled off, uh, Republican primary voters want that. And, and lawmakers are responding, in a sense, to what their, their, their core voters, their, their conservative voters want. Well, absolutely. I, I think, you know, Republican primary voters right now are some of the most powerful people in the legislative process in Texas because, you know, they, they're basically talking about 1% of, of Texans when you, when you think about the, the prime, people who vote in Republican primaries compared to the total population. Uh, but because these districts are so gerrymandered and for, for so many Republican lawmakers, the only race that matters is the primary election. Uh, that is how they govern. They govern accordingly. Uh, and so that's why uh, we see uh, we see issues like health care, uh, higher education, and others uh, going neglected in many cases. Uh, and, and instead, the, the Republicans in the legislature are focusing on guns, abortion, and non-existent vote fraud. Uh, and so, uh, so that that, it, that that is the dynamic, and that's exactly why uh, these things continue to happen. Representative, I want to go back to the voting bill for a minute. That was debated for hours. Democrats did get some amendments through, but a final version now will be hammered out. Briefly, what are the changes, and do you think those will remain? Sure. Well, the, the House bill was different from the, the version the Senate passed, uh, but it's still very problematic. Uh, it, it limits the ability of, of elections administrators to uh, publicize vote-by-mail options for for people who are eligible to vote by mail under current Texas law. And, and it expands the powers of poll watchers. And we've seen Republicans use partisan poll watchers in an effort to, uh, at times, intimidate, harass voters and, or election officials and disrupt the process. So uh, we remain very opposed to that legislation. We were able to add in some safeguards uh, in the House version, um, decrease some of the criminal penalties, uh, you know, from felonies to misdemeanors and that, that type of thing. Uh, so those are good changes, but look, we made a, a very bad bill marginally less bad. Still a very bad bill, and, and ultimately I hope that it dies, but as you say, it's going to a House-Senate conference committee at some point here soon, and we'll see what the final version looks like. Representative, early on the, the session was defined by the aftermath of the winter storm and the need to bolster the state's uh, power grid. Are you satisfied that that is happening? Yeah, I think, Drummer, there's been some steps taken in that direction, but I'm not satisfied that we've done all we can do. You know, uh, the, the House passed a weatherization bill uh, to require uh, generators to weatherize and also providing uh, some low-interest loans and even grants in some cases uh, to help uh, pay for that weatherization. Now, Democrats were very successful in that, in adding in additional uh, uh, provisions to help consumers to help residents uh, who have borne the brunt of this, because we don't think that all the resources to help respond to this crisis should be going to business. Some of it should be going to residents as well and benefiting residents directly. Um, but, you know, I think that there still needs to be, I'm not satisfied that, that we have addressed the failures of the Public Utility Commission, uh, Governor Abbott's appointees, uh, previous appointees to the PUC, and how they managed ERCOT in this process. Uh, and that's what we have to see. I, I think we're going to revisit this issue again before the session is over, and we'll want to see what that looks like in terms of governance of our grid uh, over the next two weeks before we can know if the legislature truly addressed this 
in a meaningful way. Representative, in the short time we have left, we saw a lot of bills die on Thursday, although some legislation, of course, can reappear attached to another bill. What do you think is really the biggest loss for Texans that the House just didn't get to? Well, by far the biggest loss uh, of the session has been that once again, so far, and it doesn't seem likely it'll happen, is that Texas Republicans have refused to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we had the opportunity to do this when we debated the budget in the House a few weeks ago. And with, with one exception, we had one Republican crossover, Medicaid uh, expansion failed on a party line vote. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, it, it wasn't even Medicaid expansion. It was the ability for the governor to uh, enter into an agreement with the federal government to expand access to health care in a way that Texas designed and make it a very Texas-specific plan, but one that would maximize coverage for uninsured Texans. Republicans continue to say no to that, continue to cost our state billions of dollars a year, and too many Texans continue to suffer while the rest of us pay higher health care costs than we would normally. That is by far the single biggest failure of Republicans this session, and, and, and that's a long list. Representative Chris Turner, as always, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Julie. Thank you, Grover. We now shift our attention to Washington, where Representative Liz Cheney, a Republican from Wyoming, was ousted from her position in party leadership in part for criticizing former President Donald Trump's false claims of election fraud, claims backed up by much of the Republican House delegation. Cheney was removed as GOP conference chair on Thursday. Republicans moved Friday to install Elise Stefanik of New York in Cheney's place. Representative Michael Burgess is a Republican from Denton. He talks to Julian Gromer about what's next for the GOP. Thank you so much for being here. Good deal. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me on. So great to see you all again. Great to see you. The removal of Cheney raises the question, is there room in the Republican Party for different opinions? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Look, I had come to the opinion that uh, it was time to make a change. It happened rather suddenly. It went on a voice vote without much of a fight earlier this week. But uh, I have so much respect for Liz Cheney. Remember, a couple of months ago, she had an opportunity to run uncontested for a Senate seat in Wyoming when Senator Enzi retired. I was very much relieved as a House member when she said she was staying with us in the House. I, I thought that was a, a, very, a, a very bold move on her part. I know we have not seen the, the final act from Liz Cheney, and just uh, like so many in her family, she has a, 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 a quantity for being able to rise above and to, to reinvent, and I expect that we will see a great deal more from her. Congressman, then why, you know, you spoke very highly of her there. Why did you believe it's time for a change? Well, look, uh, the district that I represent, there's no question that people had moved on from, from Liz Cheney. But look, you know, even going back a step, had I been talking to you all six months ago, right before the election, and you asked me to look ahead across the horizon and envision my worst case scenario for what it would look like now, 110 112 days in the Biden administration, I couldn't have made up the stuff that I would tell you today. I couldn't have made up that we would go from energy independence to gas lines, that we'd go from peace in the Middle East to the Abraham Accords to a shooting war. I could not have made that up. I couldn't have gone from full employment economy to rising unemployment. I certainly couldn't have foreseen 4% inflation last month because of all of the money that the Biden administration has pumped into the already overheated economy. I couldn't have made this stuff up. It is so critical. So, so Doctor, but what does that have to do with Liz Cheney? Republicans be able to provide the proper 
counterbalance to what's going on down at the White House and with an uncontested front from the Democrats in the House and the Senate, there is, there's no pushback on the White House. We have to be able to do that. We have to provide that counterbalance. That's what the founders intended, right? Okay, so again, and I'm going to echo what Gromer said. What does this have to do with what's going on in the Republican Party and Liz Cheney? Well, the Republican Party needs to be a strong party. It needs to provide a, a, a counter set of ideas to what has been proposed from the Democratic House, the Democratic Senate, and, and, and the White House. Right now, there is nothing stopping them. And as a consequence, look at the... I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. It has been a sudden and serious deterioration over the last four months, and somehow that needs to be countered for the sake of the American people. We can't do that if we're fighting amongst ourselves. We need to be united, we need to be together, and we need to focus on the things that are important to the American people. They don't want gas lines. No one I talk to back home wants to sit in a gas line like we did back in the 1970s. No one wants runaway inflation again. So these are the problems that need to be tackled. They require our full attention and we need to be on about doing those. Uh, Representative, quickly, just to be clear, in your view, what was Representative Cheney's offense? What did she do to deserve to be stripped from her leadership post? You, you know me, and I tend to care about people, sometimes more than I should, but that has been my entire life. That's how my parents brought me up. I don't see people in terms of a political definition. However, I also see the seriousness of the situation that we're up against, and we can't, we can't counter what is coming at us so fast on, on behalf of the American people, but we can't counter it if we're fighting amongst ourselves, and that's what was going on. So if you want me to name an offense, the offense was not being able to unify around a common set of principles and goals. You know, I want to turn to some House matters right now. This week, both Republicans and Democratic leadership met with the president on infrastructure. You just went through a laundry list of things that you believe are going wrong. So can you find places to work together? Can there be an agreement on an infrastructure bill? Oh, there can, but it has to be, it has to be a true infrastructure bill. Look, you know the district I represent. We're growing so fast, and, and uh, infrastructure needs are so significant that it's hard to be against infrastructure as, as, a, as a philosophical point. But on the other hand, when you add all the other stuff to it, when you point to the fact that we've already spent so much money in an economy that didn't need the money to get going, this is a problem. So, uh, in fact, I had a meeting with my Office of Legislative Affairs uh, uh, person at the White House this afternoon, and I, I outlined the fact that when I talked to uh, the Secretary of Transportation earlier, this month, I was anxious to see the list of projects. What do you What do you propose to work on? What do you What are you trying to get accomplished? They said, "Well, we don't have that level of granularity yet. Right now, we're focused on things like charging stations on the internet. That doesn't help anyone where I'm living." Our representative, let's let's talk. Let's turn to uh, COVID-19. Now that we have vaccines that are available for children, for kids, how far do you think uh, we are from herd immunity? Uh, you know what, I'll leave the herd immunity definitions to the, to the experts, but what good news just this past week that the, the CDC, I thought it was a little bit later than they should have, but they said we no longer fully vaccinated people do not need to wear a mask 
when they're interacting with other fully vaccinated people, whether indoors or outdoors. Now I call on the Speaker of the House to release us from this draconian system that we've been under where we can't have a hearing, we can't have a meeting in our office, and we can't vote normally on the House floor. It's time to move beyond that. Congressman Burgess, as always, thanks so much for being with us. Good deal. Thank you all. Look forward to being in the studio with you soon. From Washington back to Austin, we mentioned time ran out on some bills in the state legislature last week. What does that mean? You may also notice sessions lasting until the early morning hours. Why? The Texas legislature has a number of quirky procedural rules that come into play during the final stretch of the session. Each chamber, the House and the Senate, have what is called a parliamentarian. That person is a nonpartisan advisor to lawmakers on rules and procedures. To help us navigate all these rules, Julian Gromer talked to Randy Urban, a former legislative director for Governor Greg Abbott and now a professor at the University of Texas School of Law. First of all, thanks so much for being with us. You've seen a lot of legislatures. I mean, you've really studied this. What stuck out to you most about this session? Candidly, how well it's how, how well the legislature has managed to do its business in a pandemic. I, I was uh, I was concerned that they were not going to be able to to do a lot of the things they did. I mean, it looks like they're on schedule to go ahead and finish the budget, which is the only bill that has to pass. And they're going to hopefully they'll do some things that address our electric grid and the pandemic and some other pressing issues as well. But overall, just the resiliency of the process, I think that they've, they've done a pretty good job of keeping the ball, the ball in the air. Yeah, and um, you, you might, you probably have a, a special session because of redistricting, but it looks like they pretty much got everything they needed to get done. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that Democrats will argue that they needed some other things they needed to do, but they got, what they needed to get done this session, which is kind of remarkable considering the challenges. I agree. And in the redistricting, the special session, that wasn't because of them. That's because right. the feds were late in getting the numbers to them. So they couldn't have done it had they wanted to. So when you look at the session, I think this is a period of time where people that, you know, don't watch the ledge like we do and pay attention. It's the time of year when, you know, this week we saw a lot of bills die. I mean, they just simply didn't get to them. So how does a bill actually make it all the way through? Well, a, a, a bill has to, it's filed in one house and it has to be approved through the committee and then approved on the floor of that house. Then it has that same piece of legislation has to go all the way to the other uh, chamber and go through committee process there and be approved by the, that body. And then if it's passed in the same form, in both houses, then it goes to the governor. If, it's, if there are amendments along the way, then it goes to what they call a conference committee, which are five House members and five senators, and they try to hammer out the differences. And, you know, the legislative process is pretty anachronistic. It really it, it follows a piece of paper. And this digital age is kind of strange to think about it, but a bill is literally it's a piece of paper that goes from one house to the other and back to the originating house and then to the governor. And um, that, and, and a lot of times what you'll see and what we've seen this year, especially in the electric grid issue is Senate bills going to the House and House bills going to the Senate. Well, that doesn't solve anything. The same bill has to pass both houses. So- um, Takes it, a long a, time. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, um, think about it in 2019, they filed over 7,300 bills 
and they passed about 1,400. So that's about a one in five batten average, which is pretty typical for a legislative session. So it's hard to pass a piece of legislation. You know, Randy, uh, the, uh, the public may not realize this because they, they don't see these, these faults, but the parliamentarian, parliamentarian is an important figure in all of this, right? I mean, because so many bills can live or die on points of orders or challenges from a, from a lawmaker. And, uh, but, you know, the public just doesn't know, know about parliamentarians. How right. important is the role of, of, of this well, thing? Parliamentarians are critically important. I mean, they're, they're important at the beginning of the process as well as at the end of the process. The parliamentarians in both houses are the ones that refer the bills uh, to the different committees. And that makes a lot of difference. I mean, look at the transgender and the sports bill. It got referred to the public education committee when it could have been referred to a bunch of other ones. And, they had had a, uh, a very difficult time trying to get that bill out of that committee because of that committee referral. So the parliamentarians, not only do they refer the bills, but then when these parliamentary questions come up, like when you're trying to revive a dead bill by amending another bill, uh, they can you know, they rule on what's been called a parliamentary challenge called a point of order. And, um, and the points of order can be based on a number of different things, procedural things that happen in the committee or whether the amendment an amendment to a bill is germane or the same subject matter and uh, they pretty much hold the cards now the the presiding officer the speaker or the lieutenant governor actually makes the decision but they rely very heavily on the parliamentarians and they're especially important during these last two and two or three weeks so hold on one second for that rare 12 year old julie and, and randy out there that is listening to this conversation and and he or she they're riveted by it and it's like i want to be a parliamentarian <laughs> <laughs> how does that happen? How do you go about being a, a parliamentarian in the Texas House or the Legend or the Senate? Crow, are you leaving me? Do you want to be a parliamentarian? What's going on? <laughs> it, it's a very specialized skill, and most of the people who are parliamentarians now actually serve in the in the legislature as an assistant parliamentarian or an aide to a parliamentarian and they learn the very arcane ins and outs of legislative process the house and senate rules and all the precedents that have happened uh, that have been issued by previous parliamentarians they have to know the constitution they have to know the statutes they, it's a it's a very uh, it takes a very long time to be qualified to become qualified to be a parliamentarian. It's the reason we don't we hadn't had many of them over the years, but it's a very specialized skill and one that is uh, very important to the process. So, in a couple of weeks, it looks like I mean, you know, you never want to say that, but it looks like this session will probably end without a special session currently. They're all going to be back in September or at some point after the census data comes out for the special session. That's right, and 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 then. The governor, uh, you know, by constitution, when he calls a special session, he can add whatever he wants to the special session proclamation. So if he thinks that uh, in addition to redistricting, that he wants uh, one or two or three or four or 10 issues added to that, uh, added to that agenda, he can do it. And uh, like I remember in 2017, the governor had a special session call, it had 20 different items on it, including transgender bathrooms and property taxes and a number of different issues. And the legislature can either choose to pass those or not. But, um, but my sense of it is, is that, that that special session will focus on redistricting. That's such a difficult uh, that's such a difficult topic. Because not only do you have to do both the House and the Senate in, in Texas, in the Texas House and Senate, 
you also have to draw congressional districts with right. two new districts and the state board of education district with you know 15 they're huge and um so it's it's that that is going to be plenty for them to do in a 30-day period professor thank you we appreciate your time you bet Thanks to State Rep Chris Turner, Congressman Michael Burgess, and Randy Urban for joining us this week. Stay up to date with Texas politics, especially as the legislature winds down at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.